Hagen had always loved the bustle of the Warner lot. But she hadn't been there since they'd shot exteriors on its western street for little Annie Oakley, when she was ten. It was 7 a.m., and the studio was a buzz, an uncanny small town all its own, but one populated by time travelers and circus folk. Transferred from the limo to a golf cart driven by an assistant in a Yankee hat, Pagan watched an eight-seat electric vehicle hum past, carrying a flock of flappers in feathered headbands and spit curls. Her cart zoomed by the commissary, turned left and nearly smacked into a clutch of cowboys, guns at the hip. Nearby, three ten-year-old girls practiced a soft shoe in an empty parking space. Their mothers sat in folding chairs nearby, knitting or watching critically. One and two and bada-bam! one woman shouted, smacking her hand hard on her thigh. Do it again! Hang in there, kid, Pagan thought. She'd been that girl. Mama had been that woman. No tap dance had ever been good enough. No line reading was ever exactly right. That was how excellence was earned, Mama had said. She may have been right, but it was so very exhausting. The cart purred onward. The sound stages loomed like windowless mausoleums on either side, as grips and wardrobe assistants ambled along, paper coffee cups steaming. What are you shooting? Pagan's driver asked. Not shooting yet, she replied. We've been rehearsing at a dance studio since Christmas, but now we need a soundstage big enough to choreograph this big number before we head to Buenos Aires to shoot. All the stages at Universal taken? He shook his head. Didn't know they had such a busy slate. Maybe yours are just better, Pagan said. But don't tell anyone over there I said so. He laughed as they pulled to a stop in front of stage 16, and she alighted from the cart. But I'll be sure to tell everyone here you said it. Smiling, she sailed through the door cut into the side of the soundstage, with its authorized personnel-only sign, and stepped into the echoing dark of the stage. She stopped to let her eyes adjust to the spot of light along the back wall. A dusty piano crouched there. A wizened woman with a face like a walnut, her hair pulled severely back in a bun, sat on the bench smoking and flipping through sheet music. She's here! More lights flickered and came to life, illuminating the empty cavern of the space, and a tall, graceful man she knew, the movie's choreographer, gliding toward her. He wore flowing black trousers and a black turtleneck over his long, sinewy limbs, and he paused to extend one leg in front of himself, bowing with hands to his chest to her, as if he were a courtier paying homage to the queen. Jared! Pagan leaned in as he rose and gave him a kiss on the cheek. You look marvelous. How was your New Year's? Busy, my beautiful. Busy and scandalous and everything New Year's should be, Jared said, taking her arm as they walked toward the piano together. And yours? Sober and boring and everything my New Year's should be, she said. He laughed. Which means you won't have forgotten everything we practiced last week. I better not, Pagan said.
She'd spent the week between Christmas and New Year's with Jared at his dance studio, learning the steps to the dances for Two to Tango, with him standing in as whatever partner she had in the dance. Today was the first time she'd be dancing with one of her co-stars. That must be him in the t-shirt, trousers, and scuffed dance shoes, stretching out his calf muscles by the back wall. Do you know Tony Perry? Jared left her to take the man by the elbow and tug him toward her. Tony, you've heard of Pagan Jones, of course. Your delightful and delicious dancing partner. Miss Jones, Tony said, taking her hand in a grip that was a shade too tight. I'm a big fan. Tony Perry was a hair under six feet, with thick hair dyed so black.